The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, how do you prevent type 2 diabetes? It's basically what you said, is that you just have, have manage your life, manage your sleep, exercise, nutrition, food, whatever. Type 1 is the same, but obviously you, don't, you still need to take the medications. But in terms of how your life is going to improve, it's exactly that. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. And I say good afternoon because it's my afternoon right now, but it could be your morning, it could be your nighttime, it could be any time of day. But like I always say, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here every single week. And this episode was an absolute pleasure for me to record and the guest that we have today is Mr. Khaled Keshta, who is living in the UK, but originally from Egypt. And Khaled is somebody who I have been following on social media for quite some time. And we have conversed a few times, but never in great detail. So this was a conversation that I was incredibly excited to do and to have. And Khaled was diagnosed with diabetes at 18. So essentially the same age as me. I was 19, as you know. Khaled is a coach, a nutritionist, a professional bodybuilder, a diabetes advocate, a public speaker. There are a few things Khaled doesn't do, to be quite honest with you. He seems to have his finger in plenty of different pots. So as I said, I was incredibly excited for this conversation and it did not disappoint. And Graham even said himself, it was one of his favorite conversations to listen back to. And throughout this episode, there is so much insight and so much wisdom around health, fitness, mindset, diabetes management, dealing with unexpected challenges and everything in between from Khaled. So please enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I will chat to you soon. As I said, even before we press record, I've been looking forward to this call because look, we've been following each other for quite some time. And every time 
you pop up on my Instagram or you pop up on, on Facebook or a newsfeed, I think of two things, all right? And those two things are, I suddenly realize how skinny I am. And then the second thing I think of is you just do so much. You do coaching. We've been speaking already. You do a lot of investing, your bodybuilding competitions. You do seminars, diabetes awareness, like brand deals, all these different things. Have you always been somebody that is ambitious and driven and busy? I think yes. So since I got diabetes myself and since I got into training and I decided, not decided, I saw that diabetes is not an uh, like an obstacle to stop you to train or to get in shape. So I saw myself getting in shape just like everyone else around me. Uh, yeah, that's when I decided that, hey, I want to be, I want to have some sort of ambition or passion about doing something about it. And that's where it was all driven. So all the coaching, all the, you know, qualifications or and seminars and events, um, the content that I create and so on, it's all basically derived from the ambition or the passion that I had by just having diabetes myself. So and why do you think it made you kind of think or feel that way? Uh, because I saw around me a lot of myth that, um, I saw around me, like I'd say a lot of wrong and false info about diabetes. As I said, I, myself, I, I figured out as a coincidence that, Hey, okay, I have diabetes. It is what it is. Let me train. Let me play football. I used to play football back in the days. And I found no difference whatsoever from being someone without diabetes. Yes, we do have the challenges that we, you know, the highs and the lows and all that, but everything is doable. When I saw that, and then I look at the media and I look at how diabetes is portrayed uh, to people, that's that's when I thought, you know what, we need to do something about it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like me, like you out there trying, you know, to spread that kind of message. Um, mm. And yeah, that was basically the catalyst, as you said, for me to start something. I, I tell you, if I don't, if I didn't have diabetes, I probably wouldn't have been a bodybuilder. I didn't have that uh, passion as a kid. Mm. I would want to be a footballer, actually. And, Me too. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I convinced I was going to be a professional, but that didn't work out too well. Every person our our age back then, yeah, <laughs> they had they had that dream. Who did you support? Growing up, I supported Real Madrid because okay. it's like uh, the Galactic the Galacticos at the time, like oh, Zidane yeah. and Raúl and. Oh, you and can't hate but my dad was always a Leeds fan. So right. I'm now a, a big Leeds fan because I don't really have a choice because it's, I was it's in the say, family. That's a big jump, Owen. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> going from winning winning now, I think, like 11 or 12 Champions 14, Leagues actually. to four, or there you go, wow, to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. struggling to be in the Premier League, which isn't yeah. ideal. What about you? I actually support Barcelona. Oh, do you? <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Why? So since I was a kid, I've been, for me, it was the same era, but I loved Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho made me get into football. That guy. He's just yeah. the king. The king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, this is a question that one of my friends asked recently. And he said, if you could pick two retired footballers to bring back into the game now, who would they be? Hmm. For my own sake, like two that I would love to watch, it would yeah. be Ronaldinho and the Brazilian Ronaldo. I was exactly the same. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Or else Zidane. Zidane is in my top three then as well. The epitome of the beautiful game. Do you know that kind of way? 
Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like it's not about scoring many goals or winning trophies or whatever, because otherwise no one would be, ever be better than Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. But exactly. just watching them play, they were crazy. Nah, A gift. I love every. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, nah, they, they were crazy. Who else I would say? Uh, no, I don't think anyone comes close in terms of entertainment. I think I think mm. the Brazilian squad, 2002, just that, that whole squad, no one comes close to them in terms of entertainment. That was like Rivaldo and all those players too. Roberto oh, Carlos. Roberto Carlos, Kaka. Yeah. Um, even after that, Rubinho came in. Adriano. Adriano was amazing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. They were the golden era. But, Maybe we should start a football podcast. <laughs> should. I'd love that. You should. <laughs> so, Khaled, you were, you were saying there about how your diabetes was almost a catalyst to you being as busy, you being as ambitious as you are, obviously, quite clearly today. Yeah. Did it um, take you time to think that way? You know, when you say you obviously became confident of your management, you be, you kind of realized that this doesn't have to be something that is going to stop you from being a bodybuilder or being involved in business or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Did it take you time to have that sort of perspective or was it almost like an instant thing? So... I was very lucky. It was almost as an instant thing. That's a short answer, but I was just lucky. And I don't know. I don't know how to explain to people that when I got diagnosed. So before before getting diagnosed straight away, I was very ill. So you know the typical hyperglycemia symptoms. Hmm. Um, but for me, like when I got diagnosed, my blood sugar was forty seven, very high. <sighs> yeah, yeah, extremely, extremely high. And I believe I've had diabetes before that for years, and I didn't know because. The hypoglycemia that we go through now, I used to feel it back then, and I thought I'm just hungry, but mm. I wasn't. I was hyper. So uh, uh, once I did get diagnosed, people asked me, how did you feel? And I actually felt happy, and I felt uh, that I got revived again. So I always say this word, that I did feel that I did get revived. Like I just, they put me in insulin. I wake up. I, got, I went into a coma, and then I wake up, and I can see like HD colors. And I'm sitting down and I don't need to go to the toilet and piss. I don't need to drink a lot of water. For me, that was, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) So I didn't care at all about what's going to happen afterwards. I didn't care about, oh, I have diabetes for the rest of my life or I need to inject insulin or count carbs or whatever it is. I didn't care. All I cared about is there is a treatment. I know what's wrong, most importantly. So finally, I understood what's wrong with me because... I saw myself losing a lot of weight. I saw myself, uh, you know, I, I used to play football and I I became the worst player in the team out of, like, after being one of the good people there, out of nowhere, I can't concentrate, I can't run, I can't focus, I'm very short-tempered. I would mm. fight with anyone on the pitch. It's crazy. So um, when this happened, I didn't care. I'm like, I know what's wrong. And also it's, it's, it's not a cure, but there's a treatment. So I don't care about taking insulin or whatever. So it was instant, instant. Once I woke up, next the day after I got diagnosed, I went to my football training and, and they were shocked of how good I was compared to the previous weeks. And I was shocked as well. I was like, wow, what was happening? And then that's when I realized that there is no difference. As long as insulin is there, as long as I understand how to get around it. Of course, it took me time to understand the effect of the different factors on my diabetes. That's something that you can't, there's no shortcut to it. You just have to experience it yourself and you have to educate yourself. Mm. You have to look for resources if you're, depends on where you are, but most most likely you would not going to be dependent on, dependent on your 
medical team or, or uh, you know, your clinic or whatever, you have to do your own research as well. Um, but yeah, instantly I realized, hey, that's not stopping me. And then I started going to the gym as well. After So I, uh, three months after my diagnosis, I broke my knee and I ruptured my cruciate ligaments and my football career was over before it even starts. So, um, yeah, once I started going to the gym and I started seeing my body is transforming and I'm not going to deny it. Yeah, maybe there is a genetic. The genetics do play a role in that Mm, as well. Of course. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the speed of my physique transforming compared to the people that I'm training with. with, And I realized, whoa, that's I'm doing better than them, but I have diabetes. So all the misconceptions that we know are, are just wrong. Mm. And yeah, that's it. That's when I when I started. A lot to unpack in there, and a, a lot to. Uh, it was almost like a very eventful introduction to your diabetes life, and a couple of things that stood out to me there. You said you were in a coma. How long were you in a coma for? One night. So one evening. When when they get started putting me on insulin drips, I woke up from a very bad hypoglycemia, and my blood sugar was fifteen, which is mm. actually a hyperglycemia. Mm. So why? Because my body is used to over 40s and over 30s. So um, I ate and then I went back to sleep and then I woke up the next morning and that's it. That's when I was completely fine. So it was only one night, thankfully. Yeah, I always find it fascinating how if we are used to much higher numbers, when we come down to a number that's not technically a hypo, we can feel as if we're having a hypo, which is really unusual and it's a it's quite a an uncomfortable sort of sensation but you said as well that when you came out of this coma you you woke up it was almost like you saw hd lights what had you been seeing prior to that dull everything was just dull like you i I didn't i didn't I, i can't explain it because i didn't even know what's wrong but it's basically life is awful I just look like what's going on. I look, I look around me. As I said, colors are a bit dull. Um, I'm short-tempered. Um, I cannot concentrate at all. I used to take, so I used to live in Reading, and I used to take the train to my university, Brunel, in which is Oxbridge. So basically, it's like a half an hour train journey. That's about it. And in that half an hour, I would use the train toilet around five times. I would wake up from my sleep around 10 times. It's crazy. Like mm. I, I knew something was wrong. And what's, sur- what's surprising is both my parents are doctors and they never suspected. No yeah, yeah, because I was healthy. So they were uh, not healthy. Well, healthy and um, I was active, like just a, a kid playing football, going to university. So they never suspected it. But they are the ones that decided, hey, this could be diabetes. Let's go get a blood sugar monitor. Um and yeah, when they uh, when when my mum measured my blood sugar, it gave uh, an error value. But then when she check hers, or when my siblings check, it gives a proper value, like uh, a value in the normal range, six or something. Mm. Um, and then yeah, on the fine print it says either there's not enough blood or it's out of the range of glucose <sighs> monitors. So that's that's how high it was. Um, but yeah, in the forties. That's insane. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Right. You know what? The doctor told me, if it wasn't for the amount of water that you've been drinking and peeing, you would have been dead or in a coma, at least. Because it's it's been it's been long that you've been um, hyperglycemic for. And the, the, the values are, are crazy. Because 
I remember whenever I used, I used to be thirsty, I would go get like a Powerade or a Lucozade, which is full of sugar. It's like the worst yeah. thing to get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what you used to treat a hyper. So. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I was going to say one point you said about when your bloods are high and then your body gets used to it and then when, when you drop in a normal range, you feel hypo. Mm. Um, this happens now to people with diabetes, but the other way around. So a lot of people, they lose their hypo awareness because they stay hypo for a while mm. so that when their blood sugar is like around 3.8 or 3.7, they don't feel it. Mm. So um, that was one. I just remembered one of my clients had that issue and then I realized why. So, yeah. Yeah. And we even speak about it a good bit in my program, too, about like the immediate impact of a low blood sugar can obviously be a lot more severe than the immediate impact of a high blood sugar. So losing that hypo awareness can potentially be quite dangerous and particularly even around nighttime if you're asleep and you don't wake up necessarily um, as, as a result of the feeling. And that's where obviously alarms and stuff can come into play. Yeah, if you don't have a CGM, you're going to struggle with that. So, yeah, yeah, big time. And even to just go back on your high blood sugars, I have my calculator here to put it into perspective for anybody, let's say in the States, it's like... 850 your blood sugar was at that is nuts you said you feel as if you had been diabetic for a long period of time before you were officially diagnosed so how long did you feel like that definitely definitely at least two years jeez that is definitely yeah yeah definitely i would say 100 percent. it wasn't as high as that range um but as I said, I remember that I used to get that hypoglycemia feeling, especially. So there is something that happens to me and happens to a lot of people as well. Um, somehow my blood sugar drops whenever I get into a confined space. So if I get into like a fitting room or a, or a shopping, I get into a shop where there is not enough air. My metabolism um, goes so high, I start burning sugar and calories so every time i used to go to a to go shopping or to get into a fitting room i used to go hypoglycemic and i see myself sweating and my heart is pounding and i don't understand what's wrong Mm. so i walk out and sometimes i go eat but because i want to be healthy i go get some chicken and no that doesn't solve the issue i still need my sugar (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah um yeah I, i believe at least two years before getting diagnosed that's madness so, like, what was your day-to-day life like if essentially you feel as if you had just been living with the condition but undiagnosed for that period of time? Because myself, you now, obviously, and anybody listening know knows how complicated life with diabetes is. So yeah. you had it, but you weren't even aware of it. Yeah, I think I was lucky that I didn't collapse one day in the streets or something. So mm. I think I just, I'm lucky. Uh, there is no, I can't justify how nothing tragic happened because I used to play football a lot. So that is that is a catalyst for, you know, unstable blood sugars. If you don't mm. know exactly how to deal with it. I used to train um, and I used to eat tons of anything really because I didn't care I didn't know I used to eat lots of sugar and I would have a chocolate bar I do it I would have cakes whatever it is stuff that I have now but then without insulin back then I don't know I don't know how it worked out Hmm. but as I said that's when I started feeling like the explanation that I said um, just pre-diagnose I think it didn't happen all of a sudden it started 
you know, slowly, slowly, gradually going up, um, well, worsening. Then once it reached that it's unbearable, that's that's where, what I started feeling. And that's why I explained to people. But yeah, I believe it started coming worse months before me getting diagnosed. But it wasn't as bad. So, and yeah. had you any idea like what was going on or were you obviously just somebody in university you were fit as well you were staying active you were staying healthy to a certain extent despite the the diabetes in the background like had you any idea what was going on or were you just under the impression of this is just how life is now exactly that not at all i had no clue what's going on and i had i normally so uh, i don't like moaning a lot to to people around (laughs) me so i kept it in and I just started dealing with it, started going to the toilet a lot. And I'm like, eh, it's cool. I just, eh, I just want to go to the toilet. Started drinking a lot. I'm like, well, being hydrated is not bad. That's quite all right. And then um, started losing concentration. Um, and in my studies, or I started thinking that what's going on? Am I becoming dumber? Like actually in, in my, in my, when I'm revising for an exam or something, it's like, why is why is the, the the info is not hitting me right? Like I can't I can't concentrate. I can't sit down and study for an hour, for example. Hmm. Couldn't do it. But again, I started accepting. Hey, that's me. That's the new me. I just gotta challenge it and work harder. But then I realized, well, okay. And that and that's and that's why, as I say, once I got diagnosed, I was the happiest person because all of this just vanished. I started becoming myself again, and yeah, it was good. So there was just like a, a massive sense of relief, essentially, when you were diagnosed. And I think the word you used was a revival to how you used to be and how you should be, essentially. Exactly that. Exactly that. It's, it's basically uh, hope. Hope. That's, that's the word. I started feeling, hey, there is hope of actually getting better again. And um, just like everyone else, once I got diagnosed, once I started taking insulin, my weight started getting back to where it was straight away. I don't know how much I probably put on like 10 kg easily without even trying. Probably just, overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, just the yeah. fact that the nutrition started getting into the cells, that's it. That's it. The nutrients, sorry, not getting into mm. the cells. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, a lot of people, they, they complain about gaining weight once they get diagnosed. I'm like, guys, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing that 100%. Yeah, your, your body means your blood sugar is coming back down to a healthy range. Exactly, your body's and, getting and nutrients and needs nutrients in your in your system, so your mm. body's benefiting from it now. We've been deprived, all of you. I mean, I bet you you were the same case as well. When did you get diagnosed? So I was diagnosed in 2012. I'm actually 11 years diagnosed today. Mate, I, I got yeah. diagnosed 11 years ago as well. Did you? Yeah, I got like really no, oh no, no, we're 2023. So I got diagnosed exactly October uh, 2011 on my birthday. So on my birthday day. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the revival was a gift to you then, obviously, <laughs> on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I was diagnosed 11 years ago today and exactly the same. Now, mine, my diagnosis didn't last as long, and I actually had no idea yours was such a long buildup. But I was the same. You know, I'm naturally quite a skinny person anyway. I'm quite slight and I find it difficult to put on weight and, and hold it. Um, but within the, like the four or five weeks leading up to the diagnosis, I 
lost a massive amount of weight. I lost about 25 pounds in the space of like a month. But because like I was, I was 19 at the time I was in college, I was busy. It was actually Christmas time. So I was going out and I was drinking and I was having a good time. So any of the symptoms that are kind of telltale signs of diabetes, I would justify it as ah, I'm going out more. I'm socializing more. Like I'm tired because I was out the night before. I'm thirsty because I'm dehydrated because I had a few drinks last night. These kind of things. And like, I didn't even know what diabetes was. So it didn't even cross my mind. And I was thinking, look, I'm 19. How could there be anything wrong with me? I'm invincible. That kind of thought process, you know, that you have at that age. And probably similar to you, it was my parents that were like, we think you should go down and get a blood test. And I was reluctant to do it. But I did it just to kind of keep them happy. And then just got a phone call. You're diabetic straight into hospital. And my bloods were like, I think, 38. So yours were a good bit higher than mine, but just felt horrendous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is extremely high as well. Yeah. Not as high as you. That's I, I've, I think I've only heard one person that's been higher than you. And his bloods were over a thousand in milligrams per deciliter, which is... That's the word 50. Yeah, so 50,000. Yeah, f- about 55 his bloods were. Ooh. Isn't that nuts? Oh, yeah, that is painful. Like, I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. Yeah. I had no idea that the build-up to your diagnosis, Khaled, was as long as it was. And even hearing this story from you now makes it even more impressive the type of person that you are and the type of shape that you're in now, because not even just diabetics, anybody who's to look at your social media or your YouTube or whatever it is, the fact that you do bodybuilding competitions, that's impressive in itself. But to do that while living with diabetes is on a whole other level. So did you almost like mistakenly get involved with bodybuilding as a result of your knee injury? Actually, yes. So uh, if it wasn't for my knee injury, I would have been focusing on football. I would have been just trying to play football. So I used to play for a club called Swindon Town. That's the the professional club they used to play in. And I played for a club called Mukaulin. So I used to play with uh, Salah, you know, Mohamed Salah, of course, Yeah. in Egypt. And when he, um, 2006 or so, Um, so for the under 16s. So wow. and then I left and I decided, hey, I'm going to go to England to, you know, start a career there because obviously football here is a lot better and bottom mm. up. Um, so I, if it wasn't for my knee injury, I would have still been chasing my dream, basically. But I'm thankful that that knee injury happened because now that I don't play football, I realized that I wouldn't have made it. Because, well, you just look at people now, they're crazy. You've got Erling Haaland or, or the older, these younger stars were just crazy. So, okay, now I, I'm, I'm accepting the fact that, yes, uh, maybe I was a, a good footballer on an average level, but to actually make it and break it, mm. not. And I wouldn't have done something with my life that is important. I mean, influencing, influencing others or, or something that I'd feel that might benefit people. So that's how... I decided to not to get into bodybuilding, but to get to into working out that I couldn't do any sort of activity that included any kind of twisting of the knee or anything. So I decided, hey, I'm just going to join the gym, start working out on my physique because I, I'm, I've been always an active person. I don't want to stay sedentary for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as I said, I started seeing that my physique is changing 
quite quick um, uh, compared to people that don't have diabetes. So I thought, okay, that is great. It means, first of all, diabetes is not a problem. Yeah. I went to a bodybuilding expo and I saw all the, you know, the bodybuilders and the fitness models and all there, uh, all that these people have decided, hey, I want to look like them. I want to try just to look like them because they look amazing. Uh, decided to train harder and diet, went through like an extreme diet. And again, th- the speed of the transformation made me think I can actually... I maybe I can try to take it to an, an, an next level b- by competing. This didn't happen till I started actually doing having a, so my social media. And all I used to do is basically post about me training and talking about diabetes and nutrition, some minor stuff, just just like a, a, a teenager talking about, uh, you know, what, what they do. And I realized that there is a big misconception about exercising. So people would come to me in the gym, they would see me having my insulin pen injecting and they would think it's a growth hormone pen or a steroid. And I'm like, no, 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 I have diabetes, so I'm taking insulin. They're like, oh, so you got diabetes because you took insulin as a bodybuilder. And I'm like, no, 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 diabetes. It has nothing to do with me training or like yeah. whenever I used to wear a vest or something showing, showing my muscles. I'm like, it has nothing to do with, with what you see. It's just, I need it. Yeah, and then and then when I started getting the responses of, but you can't have diabetes and exercise, or you can't have diabetes and look like that, and then I started getting this stuff online as well. I decided that okay, if I actually if, if it's if it's if it's this big for people, um, thinking that you can't do some you can't be active or you can't get involved in such an intense exercise or build on some muscle mass or lose fat having diabetes. Then if I if I try to compete and maybe win a competition, a bodybuilding competition, that would make a huge difference. That would like, you know, kind of erase that thought completely. Hmm. And that's when I started my first competition. I trained for it, and it was a nightmare prepping for it because it was my first one. And exactly as you said, combining bodybuilding regime, which is very hard by itself, hmm. with the diabetes management, it's if you don't do it properly, it's lethal. Um, and for me, it was basically the first time I was just trialing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did my first competition. I can tell you the story of the prep, but basically I did the first competition and I won it. And that's it. Since then I, you know, got some, got a bit of exposure from people on stage, knowing that I have diabetes because I wanted to do it to show people that I have diabetes. So whenever I used, I used to win a trophy, for example, I would put like my insulin pen in the trophy to show it to them. Or if I'm wearing a right. sensor on my arm, I would actually move it and wear it on my core. So then they can clearly see it and either question what it is or if they know what it is, they would get, uh, you know, inspired that they can get in shape. I'm not saying, you you know, everyone should go now compete, but you can get in shape. Uh, having of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was the whole motive behind it is basically to prove to people that you can get in shape and um, and diabetes does not stop you from doing anything because bodybuilding normally without diabetes is one of the hardest sports ever providing the diets that we go through. Like bodybuilding is, I think, one of those sports that a lot of the time people don't truly understand the complexity of it. It Like yeah. bodybuilders are without a doubt the most committed athletes in any sport ever. 100%. Like with every single thing that you do day to day, 
it has to be with bodybuilding in mind because your sleep your food your your stress management your training everything your social life you can't just go out and party you can't you can't drink you can't do any of that i used to my brother used to argue with me so my brother is a weightlifter he's Mm. a um team gbp weightlifter so uh, yeah he's, he's he's really good but he used to always argue with me that weightlifting is harder than bodybuilding <laughs> and i'm like okay i agree i can't i can't snatch or whatever you know you do like some some of the stuff i'm restricted but i'm like why are you saying this he said look at us exercising compared to you exercise i'm like it's not about exercising look at us dieting compared to you dieting that's the problem it's not it's not the actual workout exercising i mean not anyone can do it but i mean that's the easy part i'd call it now consider dieting for a whole year crazy it's insane and that's why i have loved even following your social media platforms up to this point and that's why i was looking forward to this conversation so much because it's like as you say not that the training part is easy but like the training part is going to be an hour an hour and a half two hours a day the other 21 22 23 hours of the day that's the important part yeah and it's like your sleep your dieting your even your restrictions or decisions around like you say social life going out drinking alcohol these kind of things and then on top of that managing your diabetes which as we all know is complex and intricate in itself so i would love to know like how that actually looked and you said you were dieting for a year and you obviously competed in your first competition and won your first competition which is unbelievable but what did that actually look like in terms of a daily routine the type of insulin doses that you were taking the type of food that you were eating what's actually involved for anybody that might not know so with the with prepping you go through phases so there's a phase where you're trying to put on muscle a bulking phase but it's not bulking as as what people think people when they hear the word bulking they go and and do like what we call a dirty bulking phase, uh, where they go eat whatever crap they they see in front of them. Hey, I want more calories. I'm gonna have this. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Uh, so it included generally which phase, regardless of what phase we're talking about, very high protein. So my protein intake, for example, used to range from uh, two hundred to three hundred uh, grams. So actually 250 to 350 grams of protein. Yeah. Again, I'm not advising anyone to take that. That's, that's a lot of protein. <laughs> again, if, you, if you're competing, that's, that's a different yeah. story. Um, and uh, my carb intake uh, would vary depending on which phase it is. So sometimes it's high. Sometimes it's extremely low. The problem is when it's high, it's not that you can go have a pizza. No, it's high, but you need to have good sources of carbs. So like the likes of, you know, rice, pasta, potatoes, um, oats, and all these stuff. So the problem is it's high amounts of carbs. So you're stuffing yourself sometimes. Now with diabetes, you have to be careful with this. So what I used to do is I used to accept the fact that, okay, once I enter this phase, a lot of changes are going to happen to my insulin intake, uh, whether it's being dosage or timing. Um, sometimes I have to change uh, my long acting insulin, my background insulin, the quantity, literally sometimes it doubles. And sometimes my, uh, my long acting insulin would drop by like half and I wouldn't even take any short acting insulin throughout the day. And my blood sugar is stable. Yeah. It's crazy. Like the phases that you go through, you have to first understand how you can manage your own diabetes or ha- or you must have a coach 
that knows how to manage uh, your diabetes. So basically that coach needs to have diabetes. So um, I bet same with you, like most, the majority of the clients are people that have diabetes because we have it. You have of course. it. I have it. So it's not. Yeah, it's I, not I, I only work with people living with type one diabetes. Oh, here we go then. Yeah. Here we go. So basically, that's why. So that's a, that's that's a, that's the same thing. Is you gotta either have someone on top of you to kind of be able to manage your diabetes. I didn't have a coach for that exact reason. I couldn't find someone that did what I want to do, hmm. having the same condition, and that was the problem that I had. And that was why my first ever prep was extremely hard extremely extremely hard that i was so strict about it and i got into shape and everything was perfect in terms of looks but from inside i was dead i was shaky i was weak um i got i got the 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 nutrition wrong i couldn't i i, I never had something there's something called the refeed meal i never ever had a refeed day or refeed meal because i was so adamant that hey i need to lose every bit of fat on me but again my body is malnourished I don't have enough glucose in my system. I don't have enough carbs. I don't have any energy. My brain doesn't have any energy to, mm. to kind of deal, you know, with the with the day to day situations and working out three times a day on let's say fifty grams of carbs, that was crazy. And then I end up using that fifty grams of carbs to treat a hypoglycemia anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. trying to do a small bit of cardio or whatever it might be coming up to the end phase if you're trying to get even leaner and leaner and leaner inevitably at some point you're going to be having low blood sugars and with those low blood sugars the priority is getting your blood sugar back up which will take calories and glucose and carbohydrates that's what makes it so much harder for someone with diabetes because someone else would would consume this, this amount of carbs in the form of let's say oats or pasta or something that would fill them up and give them energy throughout the day but for me if I don't get the insulin doses right, which happens a lot, especially in that phase, like the pre-competition phase, it happens a lot that I need to, you know, kind of play around with the background insulin. I need to approve, I need to do cardio, but at the same time, I need to prevent the hypoglycemia from happening, just as you said. But if I do consume juice or sweets or anything, it's going to be extra on my daily requirements. Therefore, I include it within my daily requirements. And then, you know, before you know it, hey, I have zero carbs left in my, in my program. And it sucks. Man. It sucks. <laughs> and I can only imagine if you're, if you're that low carb coming up to the competition, you're probably, you're training hard and you're dieting and you're probably irritable from the lower calories. You're probably more excited for those carbohydrates. So to have to waste them on hypo treatment was probably very, very frustrating. It's depressing. I'll tell you a quick story, just not to take a lot of your time, but I was once in the, in Tesco doing food shopping. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, I think that two weeks before the competition and I was dead. I was just completely deprived. I'm actually limping walking. I look extremely good. People would look at me and they're like, ah, oh, this guy is so strong, but I was very weak from inside because there is no glycogen in my system so when i walk in like i'm actually uh uh, leaning on on stuff that's how bad it was and i'm shaky as well uh it's crazy Uh, so just to let you know yeah so the, the the bodybuilders that you see on stage they don't look like that throughout their life people think that normally that's how they look like no 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 they are they look like this for being on stage or for an event or for a magazine cover or whatever it is for a photo shoot but in reality, don't chase that look because you're going to end up being 
basically as weak as I was. And that's, that wasn't a life. But anyway, mm. I, I was doing food shopping and then out of nowhere, a very bad hypo strike where I was in the bakery section. And that's oh, it. No. I around me. Already, I was looking at the donuts and the bread. <laughs> Even, you know, the, the stuff that I was craving. I was craving a banana. I was craving a uh, a toast. That's how bad it was. Like it's not even th- something fancy. But then, yeah, my blood sugar dropped, and I was in the middle of the bakery, and I said, "Screw that!" And I took all the bakery on the ground, everything, everything, just took everything, and then I sat down on the floor. And I consumed, I would say, at least a thousand grams of carbs, at least, to say the least. I consumed every single piece of carbohydrate in the bakery section. What was crazy <laughs> is Unreal. no one even batted an eye. I think people were scared because, again, I was wearing like a vest and they, they thought that, that this guy's crazy. Something is wrong with him. So they just kept on walking past. Once I recover, got recovered, <clears throat> sorry, once I recovered, I stood up. And I realized what I did. I just diminished two weeks worth of work and I, I got upset. But then I looked at the bakery section. How am I going to even pay for this? It's not even, it's not even packaged bakery. I don't know what I had. I yeah, have yeah. no clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to the Tesco manager. I told him, well, basically this happened. He's like, hey, okay, cool. So I'm like, okay, cool. I just had the free 1,000 grams of carbs <laughs> right here. So, yeah. Uh, wow. but it was crazy. Like this is, this is what happens if you don't have a refeed day. This is what happens if you don't, you know, listen to your body. Um, people go through extreme diets, whether they have diabetes or not, but they don't know the consequences. Mm. People that do continuous keto dieting, for example, they don't know what they're doing to their body. It's gonna, it's gonna get them one day. And that's exactly mm. what happened to me. And I think as well, like it was important that you even highlighted the fact that bodybuilders don't look like that year round and the bodybuilders and even as you're perfectly outlining here that you see on stage don't necessarily feel good at that time because they're so 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 low body fat it reminds me of an interview you obviously know dorian yates the the, the bodybuilder so basically i was listening to an interview with him i think he did it a few years ago but he was saying that when he was on stage when he used to compete years ago his body fat percentage was so low that the padding of fat at the bottom of his feet was almost non-existent. And he said he felt as if he was walking around on bones. Ouch. Which is, oh, it's weird to even think about. But like when I heard that, it's obviously madness to even try and comprehend it. But then again, going back to what I said, the fact that you were doing these type of things on top of managing your diabetes is just unbelievable so when you talk about Khaled about how you know you go through those muscle building phases compared to the dieting phases where you're obviously eating higher calories higher carbohydrate compared to lower calories almost no carbohydrate at all apart from some hypo treatment what was the difference in terms of even insulin dosing with those types of diets that was part one of this episode If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 